Good morning. This weekend marks the 20th anniversary of the tragic events of September 11th, 2001. I am wearing my Never Forget t-shirt. And I, for one, will never forget that day. I remember it like it was yesterday. At that time, I was working in downtown Manhattan, where my office was just a few blocks from the World Trade Center. The events of that day and the aftermath is what propelled me into seminary and eventually started on this path where I ended up here as a pastor at First Baptist Church. So in honor of those who died that day, I would like to take a few minutes just to pray for the families of the victims of 9-11. If we could just spend a moment now in silent prayer. For our scripture reading today, we have actually two passages. Uh, the first one, out of Deuteronomy 6, we're going to look at verses 4 through 9, and then 20 through 23. And then we'll take a look at Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 27. So now Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And then verse 20 through 23. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible, upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised 
on oath to our forefathers. And now Luke 24, verses 13 through 27. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still and their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? One things, what things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen vision, a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with, the Mo with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. People don't buy products. They buy stories. What story are you buying? What story are you believing? What story are you trusting and living? Uh, what kind of story is your life telling? There's no way around the fact that your life is attached to stories. You learn stories your whole life. You read books, you go to movies, you watch TV, and all because they're telling compelling stories that are shaping and, and crafting you. Advertisers all know this. You spend money and work and get married and all the stuff you do is because you're living into some story. There's a, a Western way of life. There's an American way of life. There are things that, that you live for, things that your friends live for. And these all come from stories that we're told as, as a young age and storytellers know this. Uh, this is an advertising maxim, right? That people don't buy products, they buy stories. Advertisers know this, they have to get you uh, to buy their story really quick with powerful images. Um, a few years back, the, the Peloton bike became all the rage during Christmas. And if you have a Peloton bike, good for you. If you love cycling, I'm not knocking exercise. Whatever works for you uh, to help you get good exercise, great. That's my disclaimer. But uh, I'm sharing about Peloton because they're a good example among many uh, of how we are sold stories in our life. And I think they have kind of an over-the-top example. I, I could have picked beer companies, right, that come right at you and show these magical images of how awesome you'll be if you drink beer and at the beach and everyone's cool and everything. Could have 
Pepsi, you know, or the voice of a new generation, or Sprite, Obey Your Thirst, or Nike, Just Do It, but I, I chose Peloton, and I'll tell you why. Um, advertisers don't usually just tell you about the ins and outs of their products, and, and that's rare these days. Uh, for the mass market, advertisers pitch a story, um, and Peloton got razzed by the internet for how over the top their story is, right? Um, how important is exercise to the big story of your life? It, it shouldn't be the major story. So where do we usually put exercise equipment, right? Where does it go in the house? It goes in a garage or maybe a spot in your bedroom. Um, maybe you're lucky to have a little gym, right? Um, here's a picture of uh, the treadmill in my house. It's an Xterra and it's in a beat up garage with an old air conditioner, right? It was a good deal. It's in a garage with a 30-year-old AC unit. It does a decent job, right? Xterra is a decent treadmill for your ugly garage. Nobody wants to buy that story. A Peloton. Peloton sells happiness, right? It isn't just a product. It's a story you should buy into. So I'm going to share with you some images that uh, Peloton pitched when they were trying to sell their product. Uh, this is image one. Um, and you see the tr Twitter people were having fun with it. it said, I put my Peloton in the nicest part of my house, in the middle of my glass-enclosed Zen garden. You see, they're selling you the story of how ideal and beautiful your life is, right? And right in the middle of it goes your Peloton. It's part of your awesome fitness life story. Don't put a piece of gym equipment in the garage. It's part of the most beautiful part of your life because you're buying happiness and Peloton's part of that. Here's another one, and I, I only do three or four of these. Um, this one says, a good place for your Peloton is between your living room and your kitchen, staring at your cactus plant. You see this woman has the Peloton right in the middle of where everyone would be walking. This third one is a, an image uh, about just a Peloton in front of the best window in your house. Some people tell me I should put my living room here because of the view. I question them. What kind of person spends more time on their couch than their Peloton? And the last one, there's a woman who has a Peloton right by her deck in front of all the doors. She says, my husband says it's a fire hazard to have the Peloton blocking the doors from the living room to the veranda. He doesn't realize that if there's a fire, my Peloton will be the first thing I will save. They're selling a story. And there's no escaping that we're being sold stories and we're living according to some stories. Movies, TVs, advertisements are shooting at you invitations to join their story. You're invited into these stories of, of joy, of money, of happiness, of sex, of power, all of it. We get this as kids. Even as kids, we start getting this, right? One of my earliest memories of childhood is accidentally smashing a window with a wiffle ball bat. I wasn't playing baseball. I was pretending to be Luke Skywalker, and that wiffle ball bat was a, life light, a lightsaber. I was putting myself into a bigger story. I used to play basketball on the playground and pretend I was a team of basketball players. I, I put myself in a story. I pretended to be my favorite players. And that keeps happening throughout our lives. We have a vision for what we'll look like, for where we will live. When you stage a house, when you're selling it, you're selling a story to someone else. Imagine what it would look like for you to live in this place. So what story are you buying? There are definitely better and worse stories to buy. Peloton is a fine sub-story to have to, share, to help you stay healthy. Uh, the Apostle Paul in the scriptures says that uh, physical training is of some value, but it's not a big story you should live your life by. What story are you buying?
the money story, the power story, the perfect family life, a political story, a cause story, a stay safe at all costs story, a seek pleasure at all costs story, a, a religious story, a philosophy story, a, an education story, a political story, an internet story that comes at you and shapes you. What story are you buying? I want to share with you two quotes. And the first quote is the most depressing thing I've ever heard. I'm letting you know that. The second quote fills me with joy and hope, right? Seriously, this first quote is sad and depressing. I'm not hiding that at all. I was going to wait to the end to talk about it, but I want to show it to you now. Here's the quote. One day, someone will think about you for the last time in eternity. You will be forgotten by the world and the universe. I wasn't joking. That's some existential nightmare fuel right there, right? That's one of the stories we have in this world. At some point you die and people think about you for a while. People visit your grave. You leave a legacy to children and grandchildren. Perhaps your great-great-grandchildren can remember you. But then one day someone thinks about you for the last time. You become like Bing Bong in Riley's memory if you have seen the movie Inside Out. Her imaginary childhood friend is forgotten forever. He ceases to exist. So what does that have to do with the story we believe? I, I think it has everything to do with the story we believe and live. Because this is the end of almost every story. That's the end of the money story. It's the end of the fame story. It's the end of the sports story, the, the nation story, the political story. Because in so many cases, the stories that you become a part of will one day cease to exist as well. Okay, so that's so depressing. We're gonna have another clip. This is a clip of puppies attacking a toddler. Happy, happy, there we go. That's a bit of a palate cleanser, right? Okay, now the second quote. Before I get to that, I wanna say something. Here's what I think. We're sold stories that never satisfy. We're sold carrot-on-a-stick stories to keep us going, to keep us buying, to keep us wanting. Every drama TV show tells a beautiful story with a hook to get us to come back next week so our eyeballs can see some commercials also selling us their products so that we can buy products to make us happy which don't quite make us happy. And all of those stories collapse and fade in the end. They can't save us. They can't give us the life we're chasing. They can't give us anything that really lasts. They cannot give us anything eternal. They can't give us what the Bible calls shalom or true peace or true contentment or true joy or life. They give us little tastes that make us wanting more. But they always leave us thirsty and in the end they will fail us. The Christian, the Jesus follower, confesses a different story. We believe and invite others to be part of a better story. And it's to be part of an eternal story. It's to be connected to a God story. It's a story that offers hope, forgiveness, transformation. It offers, offers purpose and mission. It offers us something eternal that won't fade. Now here's the truth. I'm also a guy who sells stories, right? The Christian, the pastor, the teacher. We're inviting you to believe a story. I'm inviting you week in, week out to believe a story. And I'm one of the guys up here teaching you a different story, right? But my proposal is that there is a better story. 
a Jesus story, a Holy Spirit story, a big story about heaven, hell, evil, good. And I'm asking you, inviting you to commit to that story over all the other stories. We live in a world of competing stories. And we should know that and then we should choose the best one. Now here's that second quote. This is by Leslie Newbigin. A community of people that in the midst of all the pain and sorrow and wickedness in this world is continually praising God is the first obvious result of living by another story than the one the world lives by. The Christian community is to be controlled by a totally different story than the stories of the rest of the world. And the biggest failures of Christians is that we often live for other lesser stories and we often bind ourselves to those lesser destructive stories instead of the big story of God. And then we fail to show other people the good story. In fact, we run into all the weaker stories. My belief, and I think this is a faithful Christian belief, is that all the other stories, even well-meaning ones in this broken world, end up bringing pain, sadness, sorrow, wickedness. But the community of God's people, we can live by a different story. We're going to talk about that better story today. You're going to be a part of stories, and this is a better one. What story are you part of? Because I think you're made to be part of God's story. So we're starting a series this fall called Co-Mission, Joining in the Life and Mission of God. And this is the, the culmination of a year of messages with, with a summer break that has focused on what it means to live as a follower of Jesus. What are the practices, the rhythms of life in following Jesus? And we've been talking about three C's. The first one, communion with God, right? We're made for a relationship with God and we cultivate that with practices like Jesus did of, of prayer and scripture and, and sacrificing um, we're made for community, the second C. Um, we're, we're to gather, to care for each other. And then we're made to be part of a co-mission. God's not static. He's active. He's living. He's moving. He's on a mission from uh, Genesis to Revelation. There's a big mission and God invites all of us to be a part of it. So this set of messages are going to explore different aspects of that mission. Because part of what it means to be a Christian is to live with a real clear purpose that you're made to be part of God's mission in the world. So in the weeks ahead, we're going to talk all about the purposes we are made for if we're part of the Jesus people. And if you don't know what you believe, please listen along. Because to follow Jesus is to find yourself in a better story. And it's to find yourself living for ultimate things. The things that matter most, as I say all the time. So at the foundation of being part of God's mission in the world... And get this, get how wild this belief is, right? You aren't made just to wander around and live and find something meaningful to you for a while until you die and people forget about you. You're not made for that. I don't believe you are. The Christian belief is that you're not made for that. You're made by God and God wants you to be a part of his huge plan to bring healing to the universe. I think that's really, really good news. God calls us to be part of his mission. It's a big full, all-of-life deal. It can be scary, but it means we're important. It means we matter. And the first thing, and what we're talking about today, about God's mission is to know the big story of God. We need to know the story. Um, that we need to know the story is evident in the story of the Bible from beginning to end. I want to share with you just a, a few scenes when we read these scriptures earlier. Uh, we were reading Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6, and God delivers a slave nation and brings them to a promised land. 
as part of his big mission to redeem the world. And he tells them to know the story. He says, talk about what I've done. Talk about who I am when lying down, when rising up. Bind it on your wrists and forehands. Put it on your doorposts. Talk about my mighty deeds. Talk about my, my, my law. Moses, the biggest leader in the Old Testament, central to his mission, was God's people knowing the story inside and out. The breakdown in God's people is when they forget the story and they don't live the story and they reject the stories for other stories. They end up in sin and evil and they end up back in slavery because they reject God's story and buy into other ones. The end of the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 24, there's a story of Jesus' followers, two followers walking on the road to Emmaus. They're disappointed because they hoped Jesus would be the hope of Israel and redeem them, but now he's dead and they don't know what's going on. And Jesus shows up and he walks and talks with them, but they don't know it's him. And he says, hey, what you're experiencing, this is all supposed to happen. And then he talks, about the, talks with them through the whole Old Testament, tells them the story of the Bible in that moment and how it all culminates in Jesus and in the Messiah. He's telling them the story of the Bible in that moment. In the gospel, in the letter of Acts, Paul goes synagogue to synagogue each week and he tells the story of the Old Testament and how Jesus fits in. And you can see that in, in Acts 13, which we read earlier. The book of Hebrews relays a whole chapter telling the story of the Old Testament and the people of faith in that time. Stephen, who's the first martyr in the book of Acts, he tells a big, long story of the Old Testament to point to Jesus. Moses, Paul, Jesus, Stephen, the author of Hebrews, in the Bible story, they're all talking to people who know the story and the thing most essential for them is to share that story again. Jesus is God and he needs to know and share the story in order to live out the mission. Moses living out the mission by keeping the story the main story. Paul sharing the gospel by showing the big story that leads up to Jesus. Jesus explaining himself through telling the big story of God. It's essential. If we're gonna follow Jesus and be part of his mission and be a light, we have to know the story. So we're gonna do three things. We're gonna hear this big story and not told through me, but uh, one of our members, Ruthie, is going to tell the story. I'm the pastor, I'm supposed to know this story, um, but it's more important that we all know it. So we're gonna take a few minutes and listen to her tell it. And then, I'm going to say a few things about we what we must do with this big story and why. So now we're going to switch over and Ruthie's going to share uh, her version of the big story. And this actually comes from a few years ago when we had a class where we worked on helping people tell the big story. Hi guys. Hi. I'm going to tell you uh, about the story of the Bible today. Um, not a Bible story, and I actually phrase it the story of the Bible, because as we learned this semester, it's important to take each book and put it into the context of the whole Bible narrative so that we can actually understand uh, what, the <laughs> what the point of the Bible <laughs> basically is. Um, and how the whole story of the Bible culminates um, in the death and resurrection of Christ. And importantly for me, and I think the church and everyone, um, is to understand whose mission we are on and how we even fit into that mission. So I'm going to start at the very beginning, 
Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it also says, in the beginning, the earth was formless and it was void. Um, Genesis then goes on to explain how God went crazy and he filled it up. Uh, he took something that was completely shapeless and he made the depth of the oceans and he made the mountains and the heavens and my son would tell me not to forget that he made volcanoes. Um, <laughs> we see with all the creatures that God had a lot of fun with this. Uh, it shows in Genesis how God brought light to the world. It was dark and he brought light. It was formless and he gave it shape. It was void and he filled it. So we see a little bit about the character of God and who God is in just the first few verses of Genesis. He is a God who brings light, who fills voids, and who gives things shape. Um, after that, we see that God created Adam and he created Eve, and he had a purpose for these people and all of creation, actually. He wanted to have a relationship with Adam and Eve. He wanted Adam and Eve to have this wonderful, harmonious relationship with each other. And he had them and creation, and he was in relationship with all of it. And he called it good after creating all of those things. He looked at it and he said, this is good. And as we learned in one of the lectures this semester, if everything worked out the way that it was supposed to be, it would be a theater of God's glory. This was the way that he originally intended creation to be. So what happened? Um, Genesis 3 to 11, we see the doctrine of sin. Uh, other people call it the fall, where Satan came in and there was temptation. And Eve succumbed to that temptation and she ate the fruit and she gave some to Adam and he said, yeah, sure. And so they both, um, because of that temptation and the doubt that was put in their minds, they broke the one commandment that God had given them. He said, don't eat that fruit. And they ate it. Um, after this happens, Adam and Eve are in a broken relationship with each other. They are in a broken relationship with God and they are cast out of that garden into the rest of the world. And um, so we see all of the effects of sin happening and we can see those effects even on the world today. We have broken relationships with each other. We have a damaged relationship with God. We're not living in perfect harmony with him in the world anymore. And we see, you know, death. Uh, we see pain and suffering and we see that, you know, the effects on creation as well. Um, so a little bit later, I wanna talk about how the death and resurrection of Christ and, you know, God's plan actually renews all of creation. Um, but first, how do we get to Christ? So this is where we learn about a man called Abraham. And basically God came and spoke with Abraham and he made a covenant with him. And he said, I will make your name great. I will make you and your people numerous, and I will make you a blessing to all of the nations. 
And so God basically sees that this world has fallen into sin. It's damaged. It's not right. It's not in the perfect relationship with him. And he wants to restore that. So through Abraham and the line of Abraham, he intends to bring about the restoration of creation. Um, God instructed Abraham in this covenant that he made with him. And he wanted Abraham to bring up his children and the people to follow, to keep the Lord's ways and to obey him so that they could, uh, so that that plan could be fulfilled. But we see as the Bible history moves forward that people are continuously breaking um, these commands that God has given them. And they, they can't keep all of the laws. And because they are human and sinful and flawed, they can never be enough on their own. Um, they can't keep it together, basically. <laughs> and they keep running away from this God who wants to be in a relationship with them um, and who wants to love them. And they just keep doing the wrong thing. And they eventually wind up in slavery and God rescues them. Um, they wind up later in the books of the Bible being under the rule of the other leaders, they're oppressed, um, and they're continuously crying out to God. And you see this cycle of their sin and suffering and crying out to God, and then he saves them, they're delivered, and then they're able to kind of rest after that. Um, I just lost my place. <laughs> you can. It's after Abraham. Hang on, just a second. <laughs> I had a good segue, and I wrote it down. <laughs> it's not in my mind. You're right. You do better than going. Fantastic. Go, Higgins. Anyway, so we'll cut right to the chase. <laughs> um, God's intention is to bring about this restoration um, of the whole creation and to bring us back into relationship with him. And uh, finally, we see that God has given the people kings. Um, he gave them Saul. Saul was not a good enough king. He gave them David. David made all kinds of horrible mistakes. Um, and God says that he will make one of David's sons a king whose kingdom will be everlasting and um, he will reign on the throne forever. That was my segue. Uh, that is pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the king who will, whose reign will be everlasting and he will be on the throne forever. Um, so finally, Jesus comes into the picture and even before his death and resurrection, we start to see signs of this redemption and that God is fulfilling his promises. Uh, Jesus is raising people from the dead um, he's healing the sick. He is, he's not going by all of the laws that everyone else is trying to keep. Uh, he's teaching them these new things and he's getting them to think and ask questions. Um, and not everyone likes that. And that winds up with Jesus being crucified on the cross. Um, and it's basically like, um, what is the point of that? 
what is the point of this person who was supposed to, according to their ideas, come in and be this military leader and save everyone and, and create this new Israel? Um, what is the point of him just dying? Uh, so we learned this semester that there's five ways to look at it. I remember a few of them now. Um, one of the ways is that he is the representative man. Um, and so what Jesus' death and resurrection represents is that old age passing away and then him ushering in a new age. And that's actually kind of the part where we find ourselves today. We're in a little bit of that overlap. Um, and I think that brings us to think about what our mission is. Um, after Jesus died and he atoned for all of our sins, he paid the price for all of the things that we have done wrong um, and will do wrong. Um, and he basically made a way for us to come back into a relationship with God. Um, then it's time for us to think about what is our mission and how do we, how do we fit into this story? Okay, I want to share a few things from that. First, know this story. You can know it. This is from a class we had called the Commissional Institute. We took eight weeks or so and worked through reading and discussing one book and listening to maybe three or four hours of lectures about the big story of the Bible. Then the final was everyone had to get up and share the big story of the Bible without notes in 12 minutes. Now, Ruthie is a working single mom who's also going to school. And she was able to do this. It is doable. It requires work, but it's doable. She spent the time and thought it out well, and she did a good job. There's some really, really good resources to help you. And we can have another class, but these are books and videos I want to share with you if you want to know the big story. Um, first, we have a handout from Christopher Wright. You can look at that. There's a website called thebibleproject.com. There's this book called The Mission of God's People. There's another book called The Drama of Scripture, and we have those up on slides. And now I want to share a few other books. Um, this is The Big Story, How the Snake Crusher Brings Us Back to the Garden by Kevin DeYoung. This is a kid's book that walks through the big story of the Bible. Don't be ashamed to get a kid's book, even if you're reading it for yourself. They work really hard at being clear and direct, and they're super helpful. So that's the big story. This is The Walk Through the Bible by Leslie Newbigin. It's like 70 pages, and it walks through the Bible in really clear, simple ways. This is the story of God for kids um, by uh, the Saturate community. It's like 22 little discussions on the big scenes in the Bible um, that have study guides and you can work through with your kids. Again, don't be ashamed to just get it and do it for yourself. It's really helpful. And then there's two other kids books. Um, God's Very Good Idea and The Garden, The Curtain, and The Cross. Um, I think this is Crossway. Uh, I'm not sure who makes these. Anyway, these are tales that tell the truth. And they're excellent books that um, they work through different themes in the Bible. So God's very good idea talks about how God made all the different nations and all of us in different colors and shapes and sizes and how God's working to bring all the nations together. And they tell 
the story of the Bible through that lens. And then the garden, the curtain, and the cross uh, walks us through the story of the Bible through how we've been separated from God in the garden and then how God's working to, to bring us back, but how there's this problem of sin, so there's this separation, there's this curtain, this veil between us and God, and then how uh, that curtain is transformed by the cross and it tells the story of the Bible through that lens too. So these are some of the resources and there's more, but the first thing I, I want you to know is you can know the story and we want to help you. We want to figure that out together. Second thing, trust this story. Know it and then trust it over the other stories. Trust it over other stories. I, I shared that depressing quote, right? One day someone will think about you for the last time in eternity. You'll be forgotten by the world and the universe. That is the end of so many other stories. That's the end of the Peloton story, right? One day it'll be out of business. It's the end of the Nike story. That's the end of the American dream. It's the end of every other story you put hope and trust in. No matter what it's giving you right now, those other stories in the end will be bing bong, right? It's a sad ending. Every other story written besides the God story ends up a tragedy where your name is no more. None of those things, none of those stories will remember you and carry you into eternity. Not even your biological family or a spouse or a child. Now listen to the end, the goal of the God story, the story centered in Jesus. I'm going to read a few passages from Revelation. This is Revelation 7, 9 to 17. I looked and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and people, standing before the throne and the lamb robed in white. With palm branches in their hand, they cried out in a loud voice, saying, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the lamb. And then uh, verse 15 uh, for this reason, they're before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of water of life. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Now listen to Revelation 2.17. This is a letter to one of the churches. To everyone who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna and I will give a white stone. And on that white stone is written a new name and no one knows except the one who receives it. And then a letter to another church in Revelation 3, 5, it says, if you conquer, you'll be clothed like them in the white robes and I will not blot your name out of the book of life I will confess your name before my father and before his angels. And then Revelation 22, four, last one. If I can find it, here we go. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. You see this story? Do you think the Lord will forget you in the dustbin of eternity? Listen a stone with a name, a stone from God with a special name on it for you. Jesus keeping your name written in the book of life, the Father's name written on your forehead. Let your heart trust this story. It's so hard and it takes practice and work, but trust it over all the other stories. 
It's a story where your name is known throughout eternity, where your name is written on the book of life, where the Father has a stone on it with a special name for you, where you see God face to face and he wipes tears from your eyes. All right, third and last thing to see, live this story and share this story. The most important part of Ruthie's video, you know what it was? It was when she mentioned volcanoes. It was volcanoes. She said, early on, Ronnie wants me to mention that God made volcanoes. Theologians, we have a fancy term for this called contextualization. She's thinking about her son as she learns this story. And I told everyone in this class that it's important to know the story because each and every one of them and you will be the most important Jesus storyteller in someone else's life. Ruthie needs to know this story, trust this story, live and share this story because she is the most important Jesus person and Jesus storyteller in her son's life. You are the most important or one of the most important Jesus storytellers, big storytellers in someone else's life. If you have kids, it's your kids if you're a parent, right? Some of you are grandparents and you know your kids aren't learning about Jesus and God's story. And you know those kids are hearing all the other stories. You're the one with the mission from God to know and live and share the story. That same story that Moses shared and Jesus shared and Paul shared and Stephen shared and Hebrews shares and now you. And you and you and you and all of you share. You might be the most important Jesus storyteller, the most important God storyteller, the Holy Spirit storyteller in the life of your neighbor or friends or siblings. And I'll close with this. Here's why you should know this story and share it. Because it all matters. If this story is true, this eternal and glory stuff, if this story is true, then everything matters. What you do matters. All of your life matters. If this story is wrong and bogus, then nothing really matters. Live for whatever you want. Chase whatever story shoots, suits you. Sha-la-la-la-la-la, live for today, right? But if this big story is true, then everything matters. You matter so much and you are made for so much. You are made to be part of God's mission. You're made to have his name written on your forehead. You're made to have your name in his life book. And you're made to have him wipe the tears from your eyes and to live in his presence, reflecting and praising his glory. And that means what you do matters so much right now. And part of that mission that we have right now is to tell that story and share it with others. The kids' ministry is challenging and scaring and frustrating but it's eternal glory stuff. It doesn't feel like that, right? But telling people the story of Jesus, right? Tell me the story of Jesus, right on my heart, every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest, sweetest that ever was heard, right? We don't work with our kids because we feel guilty and we need it to form a team, right? No, it's part of the eternal mission of God to know that story and share it with others in unique and compelling ways. And maybe you gotta learn about volcanoes because that's what your kid's into, right? but it's eternal work. Leading students, teenagers, it's not finding enough people to run a youth group. It's eternal stuff. It's sharing who Jesus is in word and deed. It's telling them a better story. It's telling them that they matter, a better story than social media and TikTok and their phones tell them. The companies that run these things, they don't want to bring you joy and happiness. They exploit your fears and insecurities for profit. And a much better story is Jesus loves you so much that he lays down his life to heal your broken heart.
A much better story is God is with you and wants to carry your burdens. A better story is you matter enough to reject weaker stories and take part in the mission of God. A better story is God is the healing God who heals the world and you can be a part of that. Teenagers and young people, you can know that and live that and invite others to that better story too. So when we come alongside our young people, we're coming alongside and doing part of God's eternal work. We're sharing in the eternal mission of God. Forget me not, folks, folks who sit with the older and, and some of those who are sick and dying. Your work is eternal work. You aren't comforting people for a few more moments before death. You're sharing the better story a few more times, hoping it sinks into those who wrestle with belief. And you're caring for the saints in the last days and completing a good work to hand people into the arms of Jesus. And Dinner Church isn't a, a new program or something to dream up to try to grow the church for a bit. It's inviting. It's a meal like Jesus had meals with people to invite them into the eternal story. And say, here's a better story that doesn't end in tragedy. This Sunday gathering, it's not going to church or keeping the church doors open. It's joining in the mission of God and writing the next page of the most beautiful story ever told. This church, FBC, branch, it's not a church that has some goal of existing and being known for a long time. The name of our church becomes Bink Bong one day when we get swallowed up in the more full, glorious body of Christ. So what story are you buying? What would it look like for you to sell all that you own for the Jesus story? To sell all the other stories? To buy the rights to the Jesus story? And what will you do next? We have connect cards, and I know you're online. You can reach out to our church. If you want to know this story better, if you want to help, if you want to get more connected to God's mission, reach out to us. We want to help you do that. We want all of us to, to believe this story and then to live it and share it with others. We want to help our young people, our older people, our people going through every single stage of life, the people in our neighborhoods, people far from God and near God. We want to share the story with all and invite them into a better story. Let me pray for you and then uh, we'll end. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the big story, even when it's confusing at times and we have this, this vast Bible, but a big story comes through of your power, your love, your seeking to redeem and save and heal this world. Lord, I, I pray for each one of us as all these stories are thrown at us as we live for so many different things that your story would break through, that we would grab hold of your story and be transformed and changed by it, that we would follow you and know you, embrace your story and live it. I pray for those listening now that your Holy Spirit would be revealed to them and work in them and move in them. It's in your name we pray. Amen.